I'm just glad we're finally doing this, to be honest, Bruno. Yeah, I mean, it's been a almost a concerning amount of time. Uh, it says a lot about our procrastination, doesn't it? I think it basically just means that, you know, if we're both like the two Potter's Palace fans out there, then we're also the least efficient, right? So, I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty poor start, but we made it. So we move. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Palace Way podcast. We're finally doing it. We're back with, uh, I say back, we're not back at all because we fucked everything up. It took ages to get this going. We're here. It's done. You've been waiting with bated breath. It's me, Alex, and this is Bruno, but we're finally going. And what better way to start on a positive note than talking about what has been a very sort of interesting summer and kind of contrast the other one in that it's been fairly quiet. But I think it's important before we start looking ahead to what we've just witnessed with Arsenal and looking ahead to the rest of the season that we talk about what's already been. Um, I mean, we'll start with the summer window because that's sort of what everyone really thinks about. So Bruno, what's been your overall thoughts so far? It's been really different to last summer, right? Because last summer we had a big focus on bringing in younger players for a lower price. I mean, obviously Gay and Anderson were relatively high fee, but like relative to what their price is after their first season, you can see that we were sort of buying more smart. Now we've sort of looked, instead of going for players for the first team, we've looked at more backup options with the exception of Shek Decore. Yeah. So we've brought in Malcolm Ebiway on a free. Uh, we've technically, you could say we've brought in Luke Plange because although we signed him in January, he hasn't actually been part of our squad uh, until now. And I believe the combined fee from those two is a million or so, depending on the results of the um, the tribunal. There you go. The tribunal, yeah. And then brought in Shek Decore for pretty big fee. I think it's around 20 million euros, give or take, which would make him our fourth most expensive signing. Uh, and he's sort of been brought in to replace Shek Kiyate. So we're still sticking with the same vision of buy young um, with a high resale value, but we seem to be buying diamonds rather than ones, you know, like fully made diamonds rather than ones that haven't quite been made yet, if you know what I'm trying to say. Sort of getting the finished product with them and then going even raw uh, than last season with Plunge and Ebiway and then Richards is somewhere in between as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, 20 million small change, you know, compared to, you know, what other clubs have been spending. I mean, it also gets you about four pints in central London, but um, yeah, he's obviously going to be the marquee and I, I don't really anticipate that changing unless we sort of absolutely shit ourselves and just sort of throw the bag last minute at a midfielder. So you know, he's obviously someone who, frankly, I thought was going to be the Gallagher replacement without the goals and come in in the kind of more of a, of a box-to-box capacity. And I was wrong. And really, the more analysis I read, the more I realised he was a completely different animal to that. You know, he's very much a, a midfield enforcer, but someone who I think can thrive playing in that deeper role. And physically, you know, he he looks way more astute than I realised. And um, I've got, I've, I'm excited. You know, I still think whatever you might think of Arsenal, and again, we'll go into that, and our thoughts on Takori in that game. But regardless, I just felt that, um, you know, he shows that broad potential in terms of filling in in an anchor role. Um, he offers something that Kiyote never did, which I think is his ability to pass, to progress play. You know, he's I can't see him getting, you know, eight goals a season like Gallagher, but I can certainly see him filling in in the areas where maybe Gallagher fell short, which is, yeah, his ability to pass, his ability to spot the pass in the first place as well, and ultimately to drive play. Um He's kind of the fusion of Gallagher's weaknesses that he does well, plus Kiyate's sort of presence. Um, so I think, you know, I'm really interested to see whether 
what people were saying about him and, and writing and analyzing about him actually comes true from you know the eye test from performances going forward absolutely uh yeah i mean what concerned me a little bit um is how we still don't have that perfect third midfielder because mm. um, Corey doesn't seem like he'll be playing it uh, Gallagher role and rather more of a deeper Kyote role that we mentioned. So this leaves this hole, and I guess you could say it's maybe even a double hole because I'm still not certain about the role that Eze and Schlupp take up in a midfield because Eze and Gallagher didn't really work together too well last season. It was Our best midfield was probably Kyote, MacArthur and Gallagher, and then when MacArthur was injured we brought in Schlupp instead. So we don't really have a player that can replace Gallagher directly, um, and Eze's role doesn't actually seem to benefit the team that much. So it could be that we actually need sort of two midfielders to fill that role. And as much as I'm an admirer of the way Eze, Eze plays, um, tactically, his style of play might actually be too similar to, from a passing perspective, to uh, Shep Ducore, which is kind of um, something strange. They both have an emphasis on uh, progressive passing, progressive carries. Yeah. Just Decore is more focused on the defensive aspects. So, I don't know. Um, who do you think we should be looking into in design uh, to cover these uh, holes in our midfield? Is it bad if I say Gallagher? Probably. Um, no, I'll move on. Um, I think the Gibbs White thing's dead in the water. I think we were. I think it's common knowledge by now that we were linked with him for a long time. I think a lot of clubs are trying to basically sign him for stupid money, and I'm still not convinced that. He's necessarily a safe bet to fill that hole, certainly in terms of goals. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was good for Sheffield on loan last season, but I still don't think he's what we need. And then uh, I think Loftus-Cheek's the most recent one I've seen flying around. Um, obviously, much loved coveted figure. Um, did score against us in the FA Cup, but, you know, we'll just sort of blip over that awkward period. You know, he's obviously much loved by the fans and still very much, I think, a, a coveted asset. He's someone that people know can still offer something, despite maybe a, a lacklustre spell at Fulham. So... I think, you know, if there's someone who can bring drive, bring goals, it, it could be him. Although I don't really see how he fits into a rebuild because, frankly, he'll he'll be quite expensive, certainly not young. I think it's pretty common knowledge, again, that he's quite injury prone. So is he the answer? I don't know. Did he score much for us when he was on loan? No. I mean, obviously, he's a more polished product now, but still, I mean, he's not going to replace the goals. And I think that's probably the hardest sort of conundrum we've got when we're trying to sign a new midfielder. Um, but you know the market's a market. You know we don't know who could come up last minute. We don't know who's going to be suited to us behind the scenes. To you know Dougie to to you know from players agents from whatever. You know there's all sorts of names that could crop up. Um, I could pluck names out of thin air, but it doesn't really mean it's going to happen. You know I'd love us to sign Frankie the Young for fuck's sake, but let's be real. You know we haven't got that kind of clout or money. So um, replacing. I mean there's no there's no question. If there's one thing I think we can all agree on is that replacing the goals that Gallagher offers hard. Um, like you've, can Eze do it though? That's that's the, I suppose the problem. Um, I don't know about you, but my instinct's always been that he's a ten. We've never really tried him fully in a ten, although I do think we adapt our shape to that. I mean, can Eze really step up, or do you think he's kind of wasted in that deeper role? I really think that Eze, and he seems to think so as well, could um fill the void left by Gallagher from a goal contribution perspective. He may not be the same type of player when you look at pressing but if you're with Edward coming back into the side now and Zaha and also at the moment Ayo have released it, the three of them actually are some of the most high pressing players for their position in the entire Premier League so that could uh, make up for 
the lack of Gallagher and we could also adjust our tactical setup to rely less heavily on that sort of press that Gallagher offered and we could look into playing Eze as a 10 and drop Decore slightly deeper into that double pivot role next to another defensive midfielder. Now at the moment at the club we've got maybe three players who can play that role in Milivojevic, Hughes and MacArthur. MacArthur has his injury problems. Hughes hasn't fully adapted um, to our setup yet. He hasn't really stayed in favour with Vieira for a prolonged period of time, but he could be that player. Um, and Milivojevic obviously hasn't had the best couple of seasons for us. Uh, and I don't think he is that player for us. So if we are going to go into that sort of formation, which I would like to personally see us do and see Eze go off with more freedom in that 10 role, then we would need to buy a sort of defensive midfielder. And someone I was looking at earlier uh, is James Garner from yeah, Manchester United. Yeah. He spent the last season... Uh, and a bit uh, in the championship with Nottingham Forest helped them get promoted and scored eight goals in 61 league games which is a decent return for a midfielder he is capable of playing in that deeper role and I feel like him and he also brings a bit of height which we're currently lacking with departure of Kiate, Benteke etc you know we were looking at Flynn Downs which sort of suggests that we want a versatile midfielder who's capable of playing in that more defensive role so that's why I thought James Garner standing at six foot one could work can't lie, I didn't know he was six foot one. Genuinely, he always just looks short. Maybe it's because he's a bit gangly or something. You know, not that I can talk. I'm like a five foot six wonder with no skin on my bones and all that. So, you know, I I'm really am just like <laughs> I can't chat shit about people's physicality at the end of the day. But for what we actually need, I think you've already made a good case there. I mean, he's certainly been available. I mean, can you? I can't really see him breaking into United's plans. I suppose the biggest complication is if Forest want him because I again I keep seeing his name linked with them on loan again. Um, so he's one of those that get that you know could be worth the risk. We obviously have a good record at taking clearly supreme talents from a championship and sort of elevating them to Premier League level and accustomed, like getting them accustomed to that sort of that physicality, the intensity, the everything. Um, interesting that you mentioned the goals as well because I, again I I've never you know understood him as a as a goal scoring midfielder. But then I suppose Gallagher wasn't at West Brom either. He wasn't at Swansea, not really at least. So. You know, you never really know, I suppose. It depends on the quality you've got around you, what you take from that. And, um, yeah, it's just, I, it's going to be such a conundrum. I'm really interested as to how we solve it because I'm quite convinced that we will. Um, whether that's sort of, you know, using Eze and kind of forcing him into that hole or recruiting elsewhere. I certainly think that um, we're going to recruit another midfielder in some capacity. You know, whether it's in the Gallagher more directly or if it's going to be something that will kind of allow someone like Eze or Schlupp to play more freely and, and to get forward more is, is another matter. But um, it's been a really interesting window so far in large. And uh, yeah, I think replacing him is, is going to be the kind of the next theme after what we've already had ahead of the start of the season. Um, I don't want to detract too much on the midfield situation because we've kind of done it to death. Um, but I wanted to not gloss over Chris Richards before we kind of move on. Um, what did you make of that signing? What's your initial reaction? I like him a lot. Uh, I like his attitude. I've read a lot about him. Uh, the Athletic did a really good uh, personality piece on him, detailing his history. Um, and I don't know, he seems to have this versatility that we've missed um, from players such as Nathan Ferguson, who was brought in sort of as cover across the defensive line, but has had his own injury problems. So Chris Richards um, has played predominantly as a centre-back for the last two years uh, on loan at Hoffenheim but 
before that, when he was at Dallas, he was also played uh, on both sides uh, as a fullback. So he could cover that position should we need it, you know, in the case of injuries to Mitchell or Klein or Ward. So that's one exciting thing about him. He's also quite young, so that fits in our model as well. But it's also quite a big transfer fee looking at our um, recent signings. You know, I think it's 18 million uh, when you factor in add-ons, which is quite significant. You know, if you look at Elise for eight, obviously that was a, a huge bargain. But for a player that isn't starting, that's definitely a bigger than normal fee, which implies that the aim might be to play him more than we would be thinking which supports the idea that Vieira could be looking to go to a back three, uh, in which you'd assume Gay would play the left centre-back, Anderson as the ball player in the middle, and then Richards as, as right centre-back. Because uh, I just can't see why we'd be spending that money uh, if he wasn't to start regularly. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a plan in place for him. Whether that's just his cover, um, I don't know. But, you know, I, I don't think he's going to warm the bench all the time. I think it's... Well, it's really multifaceted, first of all. I mean, there's obviously the cover thing you've just mentioned, but there's also the point of, you know, I think competition is healthy, first of all, before I even go on to the fact that he can play wing back. You know, it's like competition is essential for kind of improving people, keeping them sharp. You know, I'm a big believer that without being too like deep and serious about it, that like um, iron sharpens iron and it's such a cliche, but it is true. I think this squad is really hungry and there's no better way to keep it hungry than to take Gerhi and Anderson and tell them, right, look, you're brilliant, you're the pairing, you know this, but you have competition here. You have another progressive, young, hungry, modern, ball-playing centre-back that can come in for you. You know, the, the squad needs that within it. And whilst there won't be animosity between them, I'm sure, they'll get on fine. I think at a professional level, I think they've got to kind of, in the best possible way, look over their shoulder. So I think that's a really good thing. And obviously the cover thing speaks for itself, frankly. Um, I do wonder, you know, Ward almost isn't up to it, in my opinion. And I think it's really Ooh. interesting that he's playing at centre-back more and more. But yeah, you don't like that. I, I still, I'm still, i still not sold on Ward fully. I think he's too inconsistent for my liking in terms of his defensive ability. Well, the thing with, with Joel Ward is he's got that club legend status, which definitely earns him uh, a few more starts than maybe his form would warrant. But he proved himself as a capable Premier League right back when he won player of the month uh, in October last season so we know he's oh, got yeah. it he then hit that bad patch of form and Klein sort of stole that that spot from him but I really don't think he's lost his ability yet he's got a really good eye for judging when to make a challenge he has one strength that both of our current starting fullbacks are really poor at and that's aerial duels Joel Ward um, completely outshines both Mitchell and Klein uh, when it comes to winning headers and I can't quite remember what the statistic is, but I think he wins. Uh, he's in like the 98th percentile for um, aerial duels one as a fullback uh, in Europe, which is a really impressive stat. It's, I'll say that. I mean, it is one thing we've really lacked in this squad. You'd think for, you know, a fucking sexy, big, massive, hunky Danish man, you'd be able to head a ball, right? And Gerhi, he's not the tallest, but he should still be able to perform a bit better in aerial situations than he is. So, I mean, it goes on to the set piece issue, which again is another topic that I won't get into just yet, but... Um, you know, I th I think Ward does offer something. It's just that I'm not sure that he's the progressive kind of attacking fullback that we really need. Then again, I think about games like Brighton and we sort of were completely under the cosh and frankly didn't deserve to get a point at uh, the Amex. And he was, yeah, he, he really progressed the play and made the Gallagher goal. So, you know, he has flashes of brilliance. I just don't know whether he's the long-term answer. Um, I also just wanted to say that it's really interesting that Vieira was playing a lot as a centre-back at the end of last season. 
he's sort of repeated that theme in preseason too, and it kind of makes me wonder if he sees him, particularly as he sort of ages and gets to the twilight of his career, as being more of a of a centre back instead. Yeah, he's actually performed okay there. And like you say, he's not the tallest guy, but aerially he's good. I mean, you've established that. And again, it's not something I've ever noticed being a problem per se. And I think that probably speaks for itself. So, you know, I wonder if the plan is to transition Ward as a kind of backup to, to you know, the main lot. I think that could actually be be the plan in, pay, in place, sorry. Because, you know, as a player is aging and Joel Ward uh, is definitely uh, on his way up there, you do lose quite a bit of pace. So moving him away from a role that's so dependent on quick acceleration into that centre-back role could really benefit him. Um, and I've just been checking, he is in the 99th percentile for aerials 1, 2.9 uh, per 90, which is really impressive uh, compared wow. to Nathaniel Klein, who's in the 26th percentile. Um, and obviously Joel Ward, he's he's you know pretty up there for a footballer. He isn't uh, an option for the long-term fullback. From a progressive uh, or progression perspective, he is much more impressive when you look at passes compared to Nathaniel Klein. Um, Nathaniel Klein is very poor when it comes to uh, moving the ball up the pitch. He is in the lowest percentile across all fullbacks uh, that are tracked on uh, FREF when it comes to progressive passes, progressive carries and touches uh, in, the, in the opposition penalty area. Um, that is not music to my ears, not music to my ears at all. So what we're actually trying to say is he's gash, get him gone, all the rest of it. What's what's Klein's role here then to play back up to Ward to cover for Ferguson? I mean, we know he's here there to cover for Ferguson, so he's fair. That was why he was brought in initially, but clearly he offers something to the squad. So He does. Why, why, is, Vieira, why is Vieira picking him then? The main thing that Klein brings in over, over Ward is pace. Um, if you look, let's highlight the Norwich game from last season away from home, the 1-1 draw. Joel Ward made a series of errors in that game and he failed to make up for them. He was sort of bailed out by, uh, I think Tyrek Mitchell made an excellent signing challenge to, to stop a goal after Joel Ward gave the ball away. Whilst when Klein makes an error, he's much more likely to uh, make up for it through his recovery pace. We saw that utilised uh, against uh, Arsenal just on Friday. Uh, there were a couple yeah. times where he was able to somewhat compete with Saka uh, for pace and get there ahead of him, whilst I don't think Ward would get there, and I think that would put us a lo- under a lot of unnecessary pressure um, during back passes and uh, balls over the top. Yeah, I mean, totally. There's there's obviously something to be said for that. You need fullbacks that can you know, track forward and backwards, and I think uh, maybe, maybe it disguises something, because I'm going very much off eye test here. You know, I, I, I love stats, I love data. I'm not a total nerd about it, but, you know, I've got time for it. I respect it, you know. But at the same time, Klein always seems to me to be the one that can drive out better, you know. And I think I think maybe, you, maybe you're right. Maybe pace here is disguising something. It kind of makes up for his shortcomings by making him look more explosive and modern than he really is. Maybe there's something to be said for that. But that's a separate issue. I think right back, I mean, at large, I think if I'm taking a bigger picture here, right back's been a problem for way too long. Like, let's face it, Richards isn't the answer. Ferguson is, you know... <laughs> he's dead. He's he's gone. He's he's injured all the time. Like, you know, until Ferguson can hit a run of patch, like a, like a good patch, we can't really rely on him. And again, Richards going back to that is sort of someone who could fill in, but he's not really a a natural right back in any way. So it would take a lot for Richards to suddenly adapt into that role and hold that down. So really, we're kind of on two aging right backs who clearly have their own shortcomings. And 
you know, I just struggle to find why the, the club hasn't prioritised that in recent windows in the same way. We've never really sort of moved on from Wan-Bissaka in that sense. And it's just been sort of sticky band after sticky band, plaster bandage, whatever analogy you want to use, you know, whatever metaphors out there, you know, it's there for how we've handled the right back situation. Well, that brings us uh, very nicely, in fact, to uh, the next player we are heavily rumoured with. Um, being Aaron Wan-Bissaka in a loan deal from Manchester United. Now, obviously, as a former Palace player, this brings up a lot of debate because he won Player of the Season for us uh, in 2019, and then he made that big, big money move to United. And he hasn't—he sort of regressed really whilst he's been there. He's started off relatively strong, and as the club as a whole sort of decreased in its performance, so did he. And it's left a couple of fans feeling like maybe we wouldn't want him. You know, he's on such high wages. Would loaning him back just for a season be our missing link? Uh, and you've got to think, like, in comparison to Warden Klein, Aaron wan is still a player who has played with people such as Cristiano Ronaldo. He has played in the Champions League uh, for Manchester United or the Europa League. So you've got to think that he would be some sort of uh, improvement on any scale uh, compared to Klein or Ward. Yeah, no, I was just saying, he's got to be an improvement, surely. I mean, we, we know what he can offer to the team, but, you know, I still wonder how much of that was a sort of him being a Roy Hodgson right back, which maybe you're going to cringe at that phrase, I don't know. But the, my thinking here is like, you know, he can, he can try and do something going forward, but obviously there's going to be more offensive demand on him full stop under Vieira because we know that's how Vieira likes to play. So are we basically kind of saying, you know, in an almost typical Palace kind of Palace way, frankly? Huh. That's definitely not a plug for this name, by the way. But, like, you get the point. Is it case of replacing Wan-Bissaka with Wan-Bissaka here? Kind of almost admitting defeat in our quest to kind of move on from both him and this general right-back problem that even preceded Wan-Bissaka's breakthrough. Because I always wonder, I mean, I don't know if you have any stats or anything up, but, I mean, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Wan-Bissaka going forward because whilst he's clearly improved somewhat in that department, he's no, he's like he's come nowhere close to hitting the heights that he needed to at United to ever justify being there. So it's a real shame that for someone who was a former winger himself, he's never really adapted in the way that you would have expected him to. Well, looking at goals and assists, you're correct. Um, None of our current fullbacks or uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka are excelling um, there. But if you're looking at dribbles completed and progressive carries, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is far ahead of both Joe Ward uh, and Nathaniel Klein. And going back very quickly to comparing uh, Joe Ward and Nathaniel Klein and what makes Klein so much better in Vieira's eyes is also, you're right, from an eye test, Klein does actually make those runs forward on the overlap over Jordan Ayew. We saw it versus Arsenal. He was yeah. giving him options on the overlap. And when Ebuwe came on, he was giving him support. And they had a bit of interplay. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka did that a lot last season with Wilf. He assisted um, our second goal of the season uh, in 2018. So... You know, he's got that link-up capability. He's shown it at United uh, a few times. And statistically, Aaron Rombasaka, while maybe not being the best uh, amongst fullbacks, is still better than Joel Ward and Nathaniel Klein uh, from passing and carrying going forward. So he could be maybe that missing link uh, if he was slightly more restricted than maybe the, your typical modern fullback. But he could be that player for us. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that definitely that wasn't a Will Fraser just neck, by the way. For the record, I do actually just say yeah, hundred percent all the time. I'm that guy. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing to raise because it just adds a lot of nuance to the argument. Basically, 
My take is always, you know, how bad can he really be? I don't know that he's the long-term answer, but I certainly know that he's an upgrade defensively on what we have. I never really saw him, though, as someone who, at least from an underlying standpoint, was an upgrade because I simply just saw him as this kind of, this kind of like, expertly Hodgson centre, not centre-back, right-back, you know what I mean? Someone who could just put a really good tackle in, track back, recover well, do his duty and move on to the next week, you know? I think it's really interesting that at least there's something to show for his time with United in that there's, a, there's at least this kind of ball-carrying, like play-progressing element, a bit of a tongue-twister. Um, and I think that really adds something to the team. So, you know, you've kind of let the stats speak for themselves in some ways. There's a case to be made here. I don't want to focus too much on stats when looking at a player like Aaron Wondersacker because the way in which he tackles is so aesthetically pleasing to the eye. That is something you kind of want to take into <laughs> account, even though it may not be the most effective in terms of a result. But you've also got to look at Aaron Wombasaka's history. Before he became um, sort of this defensive-minded fullback, he was playing as a winger in the Crystal Palace Academy, and that's translated across to him being yeah. in this high percentile for dribbles completed and achieved. But I think it gives me hope that he could, under Vieira, see himself converted into a more fluid, attacking modern-day fullback. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's that scope. I mean, you've seen what Vieira can do with young players, so I have no reason to think that he couldn't develop Wampasaka into into a kind of a Vieira fullback if there's anything like that, you know? I think it's probably the closest we'll get. Um, you know, I'm not really going to be impressed with his aesthetics until he's sort of two-foot someone Sunday League style because we're missing that. I, we need a hardener. We need we need, we need Luca that can actually play football. But um, no, in all, in all seriousness... Um, It'd be really good to have that back. I think one thing I find us sort of struggling with at times is maybe being able to actually just take a chance when defending one-on-one, you know. Ward's, I think, a bit better at Klein than this, but either way, we still see them occasionally fail to cut out the cross or something. And, you know, how often do we see it from set pieces, particularly in other, set, in other sort of like like live ball situations where someone's putting in a cross, it gets headed across goal, and boom, we don't know what to do. You know, our, our set pieces like play, that's another yeah. conversation. Um, and I'm wary that for time, so we don't want to like dwell too long on there on, on the window and what we need, what's going forward. But um, we can talk about set plays another time, definitely. Um, I think it kind of brings us quite nicely onto the Arsenal game. But before we do go on to that, I want to just briefly do a little ode to uh, our good friend, our beloved hero, our massive, massive tower from Belgium, Christian Benteke. Uh, as I'm sure you know, right before the Arsenal game, I literally I was coming up on the train. And uh, I just heard whispers about him off to DC United. So I was frantically checking Twitter thinking, you know, what's going on? I didn't even see anything. Like, I, honestly, I didn't see anything reliable. And then I get to the pub and by the time I've got there, like, I've already seen it on my phone that he's, he's been sold. So, I mean, I want to get your thoughts on Benteke's legacy briefly at Palace. Did he redeem himself above all? Because obviously for, for a long time, he, he really struggled with confidence. He struggled to find the net. I remember, I think it was Leicester 17-18. There was a point at which he was booed after he missed that penalty, you know. Actually, was it Leicester? No, he scored the penalty. He missed a penalty at some point. Yeah, Bournemouth uh, 2-2 last minute, he missed the penalty. That was the one. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember it. Saved by Begovic, I think. Begovic, oh, what, what a man. I genuinely, he's like, he can't be that old. So it's criminal that his hairline's receding that much. But again, I, joke's on me. I'm going to be bald by 25. Like, I'm calling it now. I put money on it. I'm not even receding, it just runs in my family. So I've decided if I go bald, I'm just going to shave it off. I'm not having it. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm too, I'll be too embarrassed by my own hair. No disrespect to anyone who's bald, by the way. It's a good look if you do it right. Separate conversation. Ben Teke, legend. 
not actual legend, but de facto legend. He's won our hearts, you know. To me, he feels like a legend because something about him sort of has this piece in my heart because he's been a part of yeah. some of the most memorable uh, results I had in my first season as a Palace fan. You know, that Sunderland last-minute winner, the incredibly well-taken chip goal against Chelsea. These goals sort of have a special place in my heart. And for all of his shortcomings, scoring goals, and maybe in the yeah. seasons that followed that one, as a player, I, I really like Rinlet Benteke, and I'm going to miss him at Crystal Palace a lot. I mean, above all, my, my kind of closing thought on Benteke is just that he's era-defining. You've already gone through some of your memories, but again, we had this kind of mid midway slump through his career after a very promising first season, and then basically just redeemed himself. I think the redemption arc with Benteke from kind of sort of exciting new signing to sort of hated symbol of what was sort of lacking in the club to this kind of figure that was always at the heart of debates, you know, who is our best striker? Well, I mean, I won't name names, but there's obviously like loads of people out there who are advocating for him as a as a big figure. So it's, you know, reassuring that he basically did get the goals towards the end and, and showed everyone what he can do again. Um, I think to a to an extent, maybe not the full extent, but to an extent we started to see Benteke back to his best. And I think, speaking of best, I think both you and me and everyone else at the Palace Way just wish him the best really going forward and that he smashes it in America. He'll, he'll always have the hearts of the Palace faithful, I think, because of the way he left. So, um, you know, I think he's just been a servant to the club. He's showed remarkable ability to come back from all sorts of struggles mentally and as a professional. Um, so it's it's just brilliant that, um, you know, he's getting the chance to move on to somewhere where he seems like he'll be quite happy. Uh, I know he loves the States, so, you know, why not, right? Yeah, I mean, he's joining a really good project at DC United. They may be <laughs> bottom of the MLS, um, but, you know, he's joining Wayne Rooney uh, as the newly appointed manager there. So that uh, could be an interesting little combination. And I, I do think he'll succeed there and maybe guide them as designated player to um, the dizzying heights of the top half of the MLS table. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird system over there. Like, they split in two leagues. I mean, I'm not even going to go into it because it's not the point, but... Um... Yeah, Benteke, what a man, what a man. Um, speaking of what a man, I'd like to move on to Arsenal because, you know, the man himself, Patrick Vieira, the common link between the two, I mean, it must have been an interesting day for him, you know, his former clubs, fans chanting his name with adoration, us kind of sitting there in silence. I, I don't know if they wanted us to join in or what, but, you know, 2-0 um, defeat to Arsenal, opening day of the season, you know, the beating heart of South London kicks off the season. How did you feel it went? How did you feel about the performance? Take us through it. Go from go from top to bottom. How how, how did we start? What would you think of that? I think it, the game really summed up um, Vieira's managerial era with us so far. Sort of a slow start. We grew into the game and started to dominate possession and chances. And we looked for a minute like we were making a comeback. And then we didn't. And we conceded. But we still felt hope at the end of the game. You know, that's the thing about us Palace fans is we always find a way to get behind the team, the manager, and see um, maybe the optimistic view, take the optimistic view rather, um, after a defeat. And that does come after years of a lot of defeats. Uh, <laughs> but if we're going to focus on the positives of the game, then there's Joachim Anderson, who was absolutely fantastic. Uh, he dropped. He was my man of the match in the game for us, obviously, Saliba was good for, for Arsenal, but Anderson's performance was probably the best we've seen from him in a Palace shirt so far. Uh, it was an, ex I'll say, intriguing debut from Shakhtar Kore. 
Um, I thought he was very tidy. He did his job very well. Um, still quite naive when it comes to the Premier League. You know, he got nutmegged by Jesus and we almost conceded from it. Uh, and I saw him get outmuscled by Saliba quite significantly. So we still got to adjust to that. But his football mind was really exciting to watch. He had a lot of progressive passes that he put over the top uh, of the Arsenal defence, which caused some problems and asked some questions of them. Uh, and I think that once our midfield is fully functioning, be it with a new signing or not, I think he will be the heartbeat of it. Um, and I think that could really help us as a team. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Takore because, you know, um, we did promise at the start that we get back to him because there was so much to unpack about his performance alone. Um, again, I think you've summed it up pretty well. I don't really have much contention with that. I think he did win the ball back a few times. You know, there was moments of really good physicality, but I think he lacked um, the, the physical consistency that maybe Kiyote would have offered. And I'm sure that comes with adjustments to a degree. He's, and, you know, the French League, I'm a big sort of devil's advocate for it because I think the quality of the French League has gone up so much in recent years in terms of the signings that clubs are making across the board and the clubs that are pumping out talent as well, you know, the development side of it. Um but separately, I, I think obviously the Premier League, no doubt, is a step up in the physicality sense. And um, you know, he's not gonna he's not gonna settle in straight away. You know, he had a good preseason, but we're not exactly playing world class opposition every day. Um so it's really interesting to see what goes on there. Um it's just gonna be a real challenge, I think, to see how we adjust to that because um that is completely just uh, you know there's no way off the way than to say it is it's just like a seemingly insurmountable challenge when you've come from a league at that quality um i'm just interested to see how he handles it really um what did you make of his like ability to pick out a pass though it was like let's hone in on that a bit more because i mean his ability to link up is going to be crucial for us this season and like you say interacting in a three is um essential for how we really see him fitting into the team i was interested um which is probably a weird um yeah. word to use in that his forward passing really impressed me whenever he had time to pick out a forward pass or um you know go for a more progressive option he did the right thing and it worked but his there are a few passes he made when we were sort of doing um passing amongst the defenders he just felt like he struggled a little bit more under pressure than you would have expected from a player described by some of our fans as press resistant now, yeah. there was one moment where I think he got the ball, and I think this is what I call the Hughes pass, where he gets it from a centre-back and then he sprays it almost directly horizontally to a full-back um, whilst sort of facing towards our own goal. And he did that, but it went behind Klein and almost put him in a bit of trouble, and I think that was when Klein's pace, like we were talking earlier, came in and mm. helped him out against Saka. But I don't know. I think that is possibly just down to a bit of match sharpness, not quite being there yet you know he's only played i think three or four games with us so i'm excited to see more from his passing because i was really impressed with his vision and his ability to pick out um a forward pass yeah i mean i think someone who can break the lines from deep is kind of what we've been missing you know we've had people that can do it but obviously much higher up the pitch and i think having another avenue like that is going to be incredibly exciting and you know, he just seems like a really complete midfielder. Not perfect, and they're not the same thing, but he, he started the game so well, I think really grew into it and didn't, on the whole, look too shaky. I mean, again, as we've said and hinted at now, like there's he wasn't perfect. There were definitely moments where I felt he could have done better physically. 
Um, but yeah, a very robust and, and reasonably progressive performance. It's, it's kind of what we hope from him. And uh, hopefully he only gets better. Um, but as the sort of, I mean, we'll probably start a bit more towards the start. And, and um, I mean, I really want to break down the goals, if nothing else, um, because I think it's really important we go into that. Um, I think, I mean, for, just off the top of my head, like Zinchenko had a really good game all round. I mean, he he definitely had moments towards the second half where I felt he looked less sharp. But um, particularly towards the start, I thought he was superb in his ability to really challenge our fullbacks. I mean, he was almost like a second winger the way he played. And uh, he really, frankly, gave Klein a horrible time. I don't think, I think he might have switched flanks at one point and gave Mitchell a hard one too. Um, the first goal, you know, it comes out from a, I believe a corner or a free kick. And he again whipped it in brilliantly. Um, sort of gets across and then uh, falls to Martinelli who just nods home kind of bamboozles our entire back line really but it's a similar pattern it's a very soft header as well you know Guaita couldn't really scramble in time but it was a, it was a lovely dink from Martinelli and it's horrific yeah, defending just took everyone off guard it is horrific defending you know I felt we could have done better aerially so take me through your thoughts on that so Saka takes the corner and it looks like it's slightly overhit, so Guaita wouldn't come and claim it but Zaha has been occupied with the man on the edge of the box, so Zinchenko is completely unmarked, and he just peels away from anyone, and he's got all the time in the world, just heads it into a dangerous area, drops, and Martinelli can just put it in. And it's just... It's horrific marking. I think we've tried to, tried to go on the zonal. I'm not certain really? on that. Yeah. Um, Just in the way everyone was standing, but there is just so much space for Zinchenko. It's almost unfathomable fathomable that that could happen at the highest level because even compared to our set piece defending last season which was the second worst in the league it was the worst set piece goal we've conceded from a mistake uh viewpoint i think under Vieira. yeah that's that's in that's really interesting actually I, I think that's a bold statement but one i don't disagree with actually there was something about it particularly in real time watching it in the author like it just felt so shambolic to give that one away it felt cheap somehow. Um, and, you know, set-piece goals are never good, but it wasn't exactly a thumping header or a really good routine that caught everyone off guard. It just felt like someone wasn't paying attention. There wasn't enough physicality in the box. You know, it was too easy. It was a sloppy one to concede. And I don't, I think it's maybe harsh to blame Guaita, but again, because it was so slow, I think maybe in real time it looked like there, there wasn't really enough attempt to scramble across. Maybe that's not fair because, you know, I've already said I'm a five foot six guy. I don't exactly play between the sticks other than at school because, you know, you're the one in the football group that's not good at football. So, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I do think it's harsh maybe to say that Guaita's Guaita could have done better. But um, again, it felt like it was a sort of slow dink into the corner and it just kind of nestled in. It was almost like this kind of acquiescence about the way we defended that. And that's what really sort of pissed me off most because it just felt like we could have done better, like we should have learned our lesson. There was something very, very, very sort of palace about the way that we just let that one in. Um it was definitely the like for me. It was the worst part of that whole game, really. The fact that it just felt so preventable. In fact, it felt so preventable that I'm sat here thinking, like, how are we making this mistake again? Maybe we've not conceded a goal quite that bad, but the same principle of sort of not really fighting enough in the box, not really being good enough aerially. These are all things that are haunting us, and it's gonna plague us again and again and again, just like last season, until we address it properly. Maybe the I think the centre backs are the root of the problem. You know that I've got all the time in the world for Gehrim, particularly Anderson, as you know. But that's that's basically because he's the most conventionally attractive person I think to ever play for Palace. So, um, you know, he's someone that is still a very great defender. We know what he can do, but particularly for someone who's who might as well be six foot nine. You know, he's a he's a unit. He's a physical monster. And to be honest, he had a good game on the whole. 
you know, that physicality showed. But for someone who's that big, that much of a presence, I just don't get why he's aerially so poor. Gehi, I almost, you know, from a height perspective, get it. But again, you know, he's done everything from just not being that good aerially to actually giving away penalties with his handballs and, you know, his set-piece defending. So between them, there's a sort of shared weakness. And it, I think teams are very readily clocking onto that and, and sort of hungrily gobbling up the chance to, to give him a nightmare. Um, I don't know how we move past this other than, you know, we mentioned that Ward's great aerially, but we don't play him surely for that alone, you know? So where do we go from here, I suppose? I mean, that's kind of an open-ended question, so one that maybe we shouldn't address now, but it's such a larger problem that we're not going to recover from it. Um, I'd like to move on to uh, a little bit about the second goal as well, kind of flash-forwarding to the end, and I think it's important we go over that in a bit more detail, but, I mean... We can obviously go over the game at large too, and I very much intend to. But I mean, I think Saka completely skinned Mitchell, frankly. Before we even get on to the, the own goal, I mean, I've again, Tyreek Mitchell, I love him. He's a, he's a great, robust fullback. He plays for England for a reason, and I think certainly going forward, he's even getting better, you know? He's becoming more and more complete, would you agree? You say plays for England, but I don't know well, if I can played. see him doing that again um, for the for the near future. He's just been... So poor since that first call up, and you know I'm yeah. I'm a huge fan of Tyrant Mitchell, but you know he comes on uh, for his England debut and he gets nutmeg twice in five minutes. That was yeah. the first worry signs, and then um, I think he comes back and maybe a game or two later he's got Le- Leicester away and he goes off injured. Yeah, he makes that mistake after being rushed back in the, the semi final at Wembley. And since then, he just hasn't had that same effect as he had before. You know, pre-call-up or pre-injury, one of those two, he was more willing to make a tackle. Not necessarily dive in, but just make a tackle, put a foot in. And I felt like he was more influential. And now it just feels like I'm seeing Tyrant Mitchell sprinting back um, to make up for the ball having gotten past him, you know? Uh, Another goal I'll single out is that Almiron goal at Newcastle away last year. You know, it was... Mitchell was out-muscled by Almiron, which is hard to imagine in my head because I've always had Mitchell down as a more strong player and Almiron down as a weaker player. But I don't know. Something about Mitchell's been off and um, mm. that was that hasn't been fixed. And we saw it again uh, on Friday and it led to them having a lot of chances. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting point about his decline because, again, it's not something I've investigated properly or could give you a really educated answer on, frankly. But I think you've really kind of picked out moments of, like, real weakness from him. And, again, I've got a lot of time for him. I'll never, like, slander him or call him awful because he's not. He's a brilliant footballer. But, you know, he's having these flashpoints, I think, you know, of just just not, not even just mediocrity, you know, moments that make him look like he's not cut out for this level, even though he is, you know, he's shown what he could do. He's got nothing to prove in my eyes, but he's having these moments where I feel like he's kind of, he's either switching off or it's like everyone else has gone up a gear around him in terms of the wingers he's facing. And again, that's not really true. It just feels like he makes them look better than they really are at times because he can't deal with the one-on-one situations as much. He's making more and more mistakes. It's something, I don't know if it's complacency. I mean, I doubt it, but you know, he he himself has a really good attitude. I've we've seen that before, and how he talks about you know, I'm not really a Premier League player. You know, he doesn't see himself as someone who's made it, and I think that hunger to to continue to prove himself is part of the reason he's got to where he is now. But you know, at the same time, you do wonder what what's causing this. You know, is he 
is he carrying something? You know, has he got a slight injury? Like, like Ferguson had a slight injury that turned out to be a big ACL issue in the making. You know, it's like, is there something wrong here? Um, it's something that will obviously be flagged up if he continues to make these mistakes. But until then, it's, it's kind of this mystery, is in a sense, as to what's the root of this. But I think we can agree on one thing, which is that he's not quite where he used to be. It's not bad. He's just not quite where we thought he would be. And until until that's addressed, yeah, it's going to be a problem area, isn't it? Um, just to go back to the goal itself, I mean, Saka, again, I think he really gave our both our fullbacks, frankly, a difficult time, particularly when he switched flanks. I think part of the reason they did that is because I think it was a new avenue for them to kind of test and exploit. Um, and Saka, I think, really does him here. Mitchell's tracking back, he's focused on him, but really he kind of looks on the back foot from the start. Saka is, as we know, a technically superb youngster. Let's not, you know, I don't want to give him the plaudits because you know at the end of the day we're pro palace here but you know i have to hold up my hands and say saka did a really good job um he gets in and just causes chaos you get gerhi doesn't quite know what to do i mean gerhi for the own goal having mitchell just been skinned looks like he's in two minds about whether to come out a bit i think he holds his ground quite well which is probably the right decision but then he kind of he doesn't know whether to stand firm and jump and block it or whether to kind of dive and deflect it and he sort of does this halfway house where he angles to deflect the ball doesn't really work and in the end just sort of flicks it on past Guaita and again if that was a goal at the other end you'd think that's amazing play just to shimmy his body that quickly and get the perfect angle and the right weight on it except it's at the wrong end so he ends up just completely taking Guaita out the uh, the equation and sort of looping it over him um, and again all I remember more than anything else is the feeling I felt after that goal because we weren't playing too badly you know Eze had a huge chance which I'm frustrated that he missed but again we'll get onto that you know, Decore looked good. We looked like we were creating chances. Zaha was isolated, but again, was getting more into the game, giving White a hard time playing, like, kind of makeshift right back. We looked okay. That goal took away any hope of a comeback, particularly so late on. And it, I, I just sunk, you know? That was that was the worst part of that game. I say that. I did just say the worst part was the set-piece goal. So, again, I'm kind of in two minds now. I mean, second worst. Let's go second worst, you know, because I really I was pissed off that we had the same mistake. So... It just eliminated any chance of us really, I think, looking like we could hold our heads up with dignity after that game. The performance wasn't awful, but, you know, there was always going to be a a dampener on it. Um, that was really what I took away from that goal. It was the fact that I think what was ultimately a, a slowly improving performance was completely undone by a moment of um, a moment of chaos caused by Saka's brilliance and also by our own kind of shortcomings in that left side of defence. Um so yeah, it was it was a real shocker to concede. I mean, how did you feel when that went in? Like gut instinct. Forget like the analysis. We, you know, how did you how did you feel? I didn't feel like I could blame uh, Gay at all for that for that goal because, as a defender, it's your job to stop any ball from coming in in any way. And, you know, he was just trying to do that, uh, and in terms of adjusting his body, maybe he could have gotten something better on it but Saka is just that good of a player that if he puts a ball into a dangerous position he knows that that could be the end result and you've also got a feel for Mark Gay because you know Mitchell hasn't dealt with Saka appropriately there that's point number one and the other one is that Gaeta isn't the most commanding of his six yard box we saw it a lot more earlier last season I think we've worked on it a little bit uh, the ball would flash across the face of a uh, goal or across the six yard box and there was no communication between the centre-backs and, and, and Gaeta. And I think that might have been in the back of his mind as he didn't want to let it run 
because he didn't have full faith in Gaia to come in to claim it or intercept it in, because he hasn't traditionally done that. Um, it's normally from corners that we see him punching a ball away or getting uh, an interception on it. So I think that's probably why Gay felt he needed to get a touch on it. And sadly, and unluckily for him, that touch is what diverted it into his own net. But do you see it, do you see it more as misfortune than decisiveness? I mean, I think there's an argument there that um, maybe Saka's just that good. Maybe it, it, I mean, it was a superb ball. Let's not let's not take away from that. You know, maybe it is harsh on Gay. You know, but. I, there's there's always that part of me that thinks you know he was in too mind. It's not really that it's a problem. It's just that I think he didn't know whether to sort of stay firm and jump and block it like with his yeah. actual body or whether to kind of flick it away. And I think I think it, he just got caught. I mean, it's kind of the way he moves his head that tells me that. But I have to admit there is a really fair point there in that you know at the end of the day we're talking like split seconds here. It's it's incredibly hard even at the highest level even as a top defender to do that. So. You know, there is something to be said for that. Um, I think I've been harsh I wrap on it Mitchell, up we can... actually. You think you've been harsh on Mitchell? I think I've been hard, harsh on Mitchell because he's... Mitchell, for all of his shortcomings in not making a tackle, which he seems to be going through at the moment, he did well to mm. put Saka onto his weaker foot, right? Um, yeah. He sort of closed off that cut inside option. Saka's just that good that he could put a ball in like that. I don't think Saka was even aiming for anyone. When you were put onto a weaker foot and you're kind of cornered in that sort of situation, you just want to put a ball into a dangerous area and hope that it could go in. And in, I think that just worked for him. So yeah, I think Arsenal was very, off, very yeah. lucky. Yeah. With that goal, anyway. I think they rode that... I, I certainly think in terms of their chance creation, they rode their luck, you know. The first goal was was decent, I can't lie. But the second goal was a... You know, it was a fluke, let's be honest. They, yeah. I don't think they really created huge chances other than the Erdegaard sitter. I mean, it's like... You know when you're on FIFA and you sort of like you panic, so rather than hitting the shoot button in front of goal, you kind of hit X by accident. I feel like Erdogan had this moment where he like, I mean he had, he could have taken he could have taken any chance in the world, and as long as it's on target, it probably goes in. To be honest, I mean he was there was a moment where he was completely clear. I mean you can see the still, it's fantastic. Like this whole he's sort of angling his body, he's kind of he, he, there's no one in front of him. You know Guaita's not getting there. Any shot with a modicum of power and it's a goal. For some reason he just sort of like scuffs it and it goes wide and it's. I couldn't believe it. I was astounded that someone of his quality missed that. Um, but other than that, I can't remember many huge chances. I mean, I have to, I don't want to, you know, suck up to the Arsenal players. You know, I don't really care. But again, Saliba was someone who I felt we really struggled to deal with. He was very mobile, very strong, miles better than Ben White. And I know Ben White was out of position, but I don't know why they paid 50 million for someone when they had the, you know, a real prodigy who's playing for France now, for God's sake, coming up. And uh coming on their books and coming out from Marseille after their really good loan spell there and then sort of coming into the fold. Um, it's really interesting that after all this time we finally see Salibur and he has a game like that. I mean, he's just been named in the Premier League team of the week and for good reason. I thought he was man of the match, if you're an Arsenal fan, certainly. I mean, you know, he, he really looked like a complete defender. If it's a sign for what to come, you know, Arsenal fans should be excited. I, I you know, I feel like, again, I test, but when you see someone in person, you really kind of get a flavour. You get that wow factor. Again, Declan Rice, controversial, but again, when I watched him in person, I, I, he's probably the most complete performance I've ever seen from a player. I thought he was superb, and I, I really understood the hype with him. Again, if you want to debate the merits and demerits of him or whatever, whether he's worth the money, all this stuff, like, again, those are conversations for, you know, talk sport or whatever. That's not... I don't, I'm not concerned with that, but Saliba had that same factor for me where you look at someone in... They might not be the, the headline maker, but you look at them and you just know quietly they're making things tick. They're having a brilliant day. It's all coming together. So 
Yeah, he was brilliant. I think we really struggled to break him down. Um, I think probably the best chance we had that kind of eluded him and got the better of him was when Eze was pretty much... I mean, he wasn't quite one-on-one, but he had that angle where, you know, obviously he would have had to curl it a bit. He was coming in from the left side. But at the end of the day, you know, he'd broken past the line and was basically just had Ramsdale to get slot past and, and didn't. You know, that was our best chance of the game. I mean, what did you think of that briefly? Eze needs to score. Uh, is that it? I mean, yeah, because Zaha's played the perfect yeah. pass to him. Uh, he's got a little bit more time. I don't know. I think he might think he's got less time than he actually does, which is why he kind of rushes the shot. And he's kind of trying to go through the legs of Ramsdale, I think. Uh, and with the power mm. of hindsight, he'd say, why not try and just dink it over him? But whenever you're put through on Easy. goal and you're, yeah. it's a one-on-one situation, as the attacker, you feel this sense of responsibility to score. And I think that just got to his head and he didn't quite think through what he had to do. Uh, sort of this weird mix of too much time and not enough. But I don't know. For a no, player of his quality, good. you'd yeah, expect yeah, think... it to go in. Yeah, no, completely. I, I think I think that's a very good summary. I mean, maybe it's just one of those things in the heat at the moment, you, your judgment changes a bit. You know, you kind of see blood a bit. You're like, oh, I'm in front of goal. I've got to try something. And I think maybe he didn't yeah, appreciate maybe how good a chance it was. Maybe there's something to be said for that. But... Either way, I mean, it was a bright moment, certainly. I mean, I, I think as a... I don't know, sometimes he went a bit anonymous in that midfield. But again, conversation for another day, because I think this Eze thing is going to be a recurring theme, you know, because I think ultimately the responsibility is on his shoulders. That's how Vieira sees it, you know. We need someone who can obviously be a generally strong box-to-box midfielder, but we need someone who ultimately can score goals to supplement that, whether it's the same person or two different midfielders, again... That's probably what Vieira's thinking here on the, and the rest of the recruitment team. You know, we bring in someone who can do the energy that Gallagher brings and, you know, we, we leave the goals to Eze. You know, maybe there's an argument that that's the planning. But again, conversation for another day. Um, I'd like to wrap this up basically by saying thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening. As always, this is very much a work in progress. You know, we're very much a believer here that, you know, the fans want to sh- you know have a chance to shape this podcast. We obviously have our own ideas, things we want to try and discuss and things we want to go with. But you know, we're deeply appreciative to everyone's opinion. This is very much not the finished article, you know. We just want to get it out there at this point because we've been so excited to work on this behind the scenes, to organise it and to bring it together. So from myself and Bruno, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, we'll be back next week, hopefully, and we'll be looking at the next game. We'll be looking at Liverpool away and hopefully, hopefully with three points. Although, frankly, I very much doubt it. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Um, we'll wrap it up there and obviously take care from wherever you're listening from. Bye for now.